Section 47 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bruce Peary. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 2, Section 47. Selected Works by Matthew Arnold. Intelligence and Genius from Essays in Criticism What are the essential characteristics of the spirit of our nation? Not, certainly, an open and clear mind, not a quick and flexible intelligence. Our greatest admirers would not claim for us that we have these in a preeminent degree. They might say that we had more of them than our detractors give us credit for, but they would not assert them to be our essential characteristics. They would rather allege as our chief spiritual characteristics energy and honesty. And if we are judged favorably and positively, not invidiously and negatively, our chief characteristics are no doubt these, energy and honesty, not an open and clear mind, not a quick and flexible intelligence. Openness of mind and flexibility of intelligence were very signal characteristics of the Athenian people in ancient times. Everybody will feel that. Openness of mind and flexibility of intelligence are remarkable characteristics of the French people in modern times. At any rate, they strikingly characterize them as compared with us. I think everybody, or almost everybody, will feel that. I will not now ask what more the Athenian or the French spirit has than this, nor what shortcomings either of them may have as a set-off against this. All I want now to point out is that they have this, and that we have it in a much lesser degree. Let me remark, however, that not only in the moral sphere, but also in the intellectual and spiritual sphere, energy and honesty are most important and fruitful qualities that, for instance, of what we call genius, energy is the most essential part. So by assigning to a nation energy and honesty as its chief spiritual characteristics, by refusing to it as at all eminent characteristics openness of mind and flexibility of intelligence, we do not by any means, as some people might at first suppose, relegate its importance and its power of manifesting itself with effect from the intellectual to the moral sphere. We only indicate its probable special line of successful activity in the intellectual sphere, and it is true certain imperfections and failings to which in this sphere it will always be subject. Genius is mainly an affair of energy, and poetry is mainly an affair of genius. Therefore a nation whose spirit is characterized by energy may well be eminent in poetry and we have Shakespeare. Again, the highest reach of science is, one may say, an inventive power, a faculty of divination, akin to the highest power exercised in poetry. Therefore, a nation whose spirit is characterized by energy may well be eminent in science. And we have Newton. Shakespeare and Newton. In the intellectual sphere there can be no higher names. And what that energy, which is the life of genius, above everything demands and insists upon, is freedom, entire independence of all authority, prescription, and routine, 
the fullest room to expand as it will therefore a nation whose chief spiritual characteristic is energy will not be very apt to set up in intellectual matters a fixed standard an authority like an academy by this it certainly escapes certain real inconveniences and dangers and it can at the same time as we have seen reach undeniably splendid heights in poetry and science on the other hand some of the requisites of intellectual work are specially the affair of quickness of mind and flexibility of intelligence the form the method of evolution the precision the proportions the relations of the parts to the whole in an intellectual work depend mainly upon them and these are the elements of an intellectual work which are really most communicable from it which can most be learned and adopted from it which have therefore the greatest effect upon the intellectual performance of others even in poetry these requisites are very important and the poetry of a nation not eminent for the gifts on which they depend will more or less suffer by this shortcoming in poetry however they are after all secondary and energy is the first thing but in prose they are of first-rate importance in its prose literature therefore and in the routine of intellectual work generally a nation with no particular gifts for these will not be so successful these are what as i have said can to a certain degree be learned and appropriated while the free activity of genius cannot academies consecrate and maintain them and therefore a nation with an eminent turn for them naturally establishes academies so far as routine and authority tend to embarrass energy and inventive genius academies may be said to be obstructive to energy and inventive genius and to this extent to the human spirit's general advance but then this evil is so much compensated by the propagation on a large scale of the mental aptitudes and demands which an open mind and a flexible intelligence naturally engender genius itself in the long run so greatly finds its account in this propagation and bodies like the french academy have such power for promoting it that the general advance of the human spirit is perhaps on the whole rather furthered than impeded by their existence how much greater is our nation in poetry than prose how much better in general do the productions of its spirit show in the qualities of genius than in the qualities of intelligence one may constantly remark this in the work of individuals how much more striking in general does any englishman of some vigour of mind but by no means a poet seem in his verse than in his prose his verse partly suffers from his not being really a poet partly no doubt from the very same defects which impair his prose and he cannot express himself with thorough success in it but how much more powerful a personage does he appear in it by dint of feeling and of originality and movement of ideas than when he is writing prose with a frenchman of like stamp it is just the reverse set him to write poetry he is limited artificial and impotent set him to write prose he is free natural and effective the power of french literature is in its prose writers 
the power of english literature is in its poets nay many of the celebrated french poets depend wholly for their fame upon the qualities of intelligence which they exhibit qualities which are the distinctive support of prose many of the celebrated english prose writers depend wholly for their fame upon the qualities of genius and imagination which they exhibit qualities which are the distinctive support of poetry but as i have said the qualities of genius are less transferable than the qualities of intelligence less can be immediately learned and appropriated from their product they are less direct and stringent intellectual agencies though they may be more beautiful and divine shakespeare and our great elizabethan group were certainly more gifted writers than corneille and his group but what was the sequel to this great literature this literature of genius as we may call it stretching from marlowe to milton what did it lead up to in english literature to our provincial and second-rate literature of the eighteenth century what on the other hand was the sequel to the literature of the french great century to this literature of intelligence as by comparison with our elizabethan literature we may call it what did it lead up to to the french literature of the eighteenth century one of the most powerful and pervasive intellectual agencies that have ever existed the greatest european force of the eighteenth century in science again we had newton a genius of the very highest order a type of genius in science if ever there was one on the continent as a sort of counterpart to newton there was leibniz a man it seems to me though on these matters i speak under correction of much less creative energy of genius much less power of divination than newton but rather a man of admirable intelligence a type of intelligence in science if ever there was one well and what did they each directly lead up to in science what was the intellectual generation that sprang from each of them i only repeat what the men of science have themselves pointed out the man of genius was continued by the english analysts of the eighteenth century comparatively powerless and obscure followers of the renowned master the man of intelligence was continued by successors like bernoulli euler lagrange and laplace the greatest names in modern mathematics sweetness and light from culture and anarchy the disparagers of culture make its motive curiosity sometimes indeed they make its motive mere exclusiveness and vanity the culture which is supposed to plume itself on a smattering of greek and latin is a culture which is begotten by nothing so intellectual as curiosity it is valued either out of sheer vanity and ignorance or else as an engine of social and class distinction separating its holder like a badge or title from other people who have not got it no serious man would call this culture or attach any value to it as culture at all to find the real ground for the very differing estimate which serious people will set upon culture we must find some motive for culture in the terms of which may lie a real ambiguity and such a motive the word curiosity gives us i have before now pointed out that we english do not like the foreigners 
use this word in a good sense as well as in a bad sense with us the word is always used in a somewhat disapproving sense a liberal and intelligent eagerness about the things of the mind may be meant by a foreigner when he speaks of curiosity but with us the word always conveys a certain notion of frivolous and unedifying activity in the quarterly review some little time ago was an estimate of the celebrated french critic monsieur saint beuve and a very inadequate estimate it in my judgment was and its inadequacy consisted chiefly in this that in our english way it left out of sight the double sense really involved in the word curiosity thinking enough was said to stamp m saint beuve with blame if it was said that he was impelled in his operations as a critic by curiosity and omitting either to perceive that m saint beuve himself and many other people with him would consider that this was praiseworthy and not blameworthy or to point out why it ought really to be accounted worthy of blame and not of praise for as there is a curiosity about intellectual matters which is futile and merely a disease so there is certainly a curiosity a desire after the things of the mind simply for their own sakes and for the pleasure of seeing them as they are which is in an intelligent being natural and laudable nay and the very desire to see things as they are implies a balance and regulation of mind which is not often attained without fruitful effort and which is the very opposite of the blind and diseased impulse of mind which is what we mean to blame when we blame curiosity montesquieu says the first motive which ought to impel us to study is the desire to augment the excellence of our nature and to render an intelligent being yet more intelligent this is the true ground to assign for the genuine scientific passion however manifested and for culture viewed simply as a fruit of this passion and it is a worthy ground even though we let the term curiosity stand to describe it but there is of culture another view in which not solely the scientific passion the sheer desire to see things as they are natural and proper in an intelligent being appears as the ground of it there is a view in which all the love of our neighbour the impulses toward action help and beneficence the desire for removing human error clearing human confusion and diminishing human misery the noble aspiration to leave the world better and happier than we found it motives eminently such as are called social come in as part of the grounds of culture and the main and preeminent part culture is then properly described not as having its origin in curiosity but as having its origin in the love of perfection it is a study of perfection it moves by the force not merely or primarily of the scientific passion for pure knowledge but also of the moral and social passion for doing good as in the first view of it we took for its worthy motto montesquieu's words to render an intelligent being yet more intelligent so in the second view of it there is no better motto which it can have than these words of bishop wilson to make reason and the will of god prevail 
only whereas the passion for doing good is apt to be over hasty in determining what reason and the will of god say because its turn is for acting rather than thinking and it wants to be beginning to act and whereas it is apt to take its own conceptions which proceed from its own state of development and share in all the imperfections and immaturities of this for a basis of action what distinguishes culture is that it is possessed by the scientific passion as well as by the passion of doing good that it demands worthy notions of reason and the will of god and does not readily suffer its own crude conceptions to substitute themselves for them and knowing that no action or institution can be salutary and stable which is not based on reason and the will of god it is not so bent on acting and instituting even with the great aim of diminishing human error and misery ever before its thoughts but that it can remember that acting and instituting are of little use unless we know how and what we ought to act and to institute the pursuit of perfection then is the pursuit of sweetness and light he who works for sweetness and light works to make reason and the will of god prevail he who works for machinery he who works for hatred works only for confusion culture looks beyond machinery culture hates hatred culture has one great passion the passion for sweetness and light it has one even yet greater the passion for making them prevail it is not satisfied till we all come to a perfect man it knows that the sweetness and light of the few must be imperfect until the raw and unkindled masses of humanity are touched with sweetness and light if i have not shrunk from saying that we must work for sweetness and light so neither have i shrunk from saying that we must have a broad basis must have sweetness and light for as many as possible again and again i have insisted how those are the happy moments of humanity how those are the marking epochs of a people's life how those are the flowering times for literature and art and all the creative power of genius when there is a national glow of life and thought when the whole of society is in the fullest measure permeated by thought sensible to beauty intelligent and alive only it must be real thought and real beauty real sweetness and real light plenty of people will try to give the masses as they call them an intellectual food prepared and adapted in the way they think proper for the actual condition of the masses the ordinary popular literature is an example of this way of working on the masses plenty of people will try to indoctrinate the masses with the set of ideas and judgments constituting the creed of their own profession or party our religious and political organizations give an example of this way of working on the masses i condemn neither way but culture works differently it does not try to teach down to the level of inferior classes it does not try to win them for this or that sect of its own with ready-made judgments and watchwords it seeks to do away with classes to make the best that has been thought and known in the world 
current everywhere to make all men live in an atmosphere of sweetness and light where they may use ideas as it uses them itself freely nourished and not bound by them this is the social idea and the men of culture are the true apostles of equality the great men of culture are those who have had a passion for diffusing for making prevail for carrying from one end of society to the other the best knowledge the best ideas of their time who have labored to divest knowledge of all that was harsh uncouth difficult abstract professional exclusive to humanize it to make it efficient outside the clique of the cultivated and learned yet still remaining the best knowledge and thought of the time and a true source therefore of sweetness and light such a man was abelard in the middle ages in spite of all his imperfections and thence the boundless emotion and enthusiasm which abelard excited such were lessing and herder in germany at the end of the last century and their services to germany were in this way inestimably precious generations will pass and literary monuments will accumulate and works far more perfect than the works of lessing and herder will be produced in germany and yet the names of these two men will fill a german with a reverence and enthusiasm such as the names of the most gifted masters will hardly awaken and why because they humanized knowledge because they broadened the basis of life and intelligence because they worked powerfully to diffuse sweetness and light to make reason and the will of god prevail with st augustine they said let us not leave thee alone to make in the secret of thy knowledge as thou didst before the creation of the firmament the division of light from darkness let the children of thy spirit placed in their firmament make their light shine upon the earth mark the division of night and day and announce the revolution of the times for the old order is past and the new arises the night is spent the day is come forth and thou shalt crown the year with thy blessing when thou shalt send forth laborers into thy harvest sown by other hands than theirs when thou shalt send forth new laborers to new seed times whereof the harvest shall be not yet keeping this in view i have in my own mind often indulged myself with the fancy of employing in order to designate our aristocratic class the name of the barbarians the barbarians to whom we all owe so much and who reinvigorated and renewed our worn-out europe had as is well known eminent merits and in this country where we are for the most part sprung from the barbarians we have never had the prejudice against them which prevails among the races of latin origin the barbarians brought with them that stanch individualism as the modern phrase is and that passion for doing as one likes for the assertion of personal liberty which appears to mr bright the central idea of english life and of which we have at any rate a very rich supply the stronghold and natural seat of this passion was in the nobles of whom our aristocratic class are the inheritors and this class accordingly have signally manifested it and have done much by their example to recommend it to the body of the nation who already indeed had it in their blood 
the barbarians again had the passion for field sports and they have handed it on to our aristocratic class who of this passion too as of the passion for asserting one's personal liberty are the great natural stronghold the care of the barbarians for the body and for all manly exercises the vigour good looks and fine complexion which they acquired and perpetuated in their families by these means all this may be observed still in our aristocratic class the chivalry of the barbarians with its characteristics of high spirit choice manners and distinguished bearing what is this but the attractive commencement of the politeness of our aristocratic class in some barbarian noble no doubt one would have admired if one could have been then alive to see it the rudiments of our politest peer only all this culture to call it by that name of the barbarians was an exterior culture mainly it consisted principally in outward gifts and graces in looks manners accomplishments prowess the chief inward gifts which had part in it were the most exterior so to speak of inward gifts those which come nearest to outward ones they were courage a high spirit self-confidence far within and unawakened lay a whole range of powers of thought and feeling to which these interesting productions of nature had from the circumstances of their life no access making allowances for the difference of the times surely we can observe precisely the same thing now in our aristocratic class in general its culture is exterior chiefly all the exterior graces and accomplishments and the more external of the inward virtues seem to be principally its portion it now of course cannot but be often in contact with those studies by which from the world of thought and feeling true culture teaches us to fetch sweetness and light but its hold upon these very studies appears remarkably external and unable to exert any deep power upon its spirit therefore the one insufficiency which we noted in the perfect mean of this class was an insufficiency of light and owing to the same causes does not a subtle criticism lead us to make even on the good looks and politeness of our aristocratic class and of even the most fascinating half of that class the feminine half the one qualifying remark that in these charming gifts there should perhaps be for ideal perfection a shade more soul i often therefore when i want to distinguish clearly the aristocratic class from the philistines proper or middle class name the former in my own mind the barbarians and when i go through the country and see this and that beautiful and imposing seat of theirs crowning the landscape there i say to myself is a great fortified post of the barbarians oxford from essays in criticism no we are all seekers still seekers often make mistakes and i wish mine to redound to my own discredit only and not to touch oxford beautiful city so venerable so lovely so unravaged by the fierce intellectual life of our century so serene there are our young barbarians all at play and yet steeped in sentiment as she lies 
spreading her gardens to the moonlight and whispering from her towers the last enchantments of the middle age who will deny that oxford by her ineffable charm keeps ever calling us nearer to the true goal of all of us to the ideal to perfection to beauty in a word which is only truth seen from another side nearer perhaps than all the science of tubingen adorable dreamer whose heart has been so romantic who hast given thyself so prodigally given thyself to sides and to heroes not mine only never to the philistines home of lost causes and forsaken beliefs and unpopular names and impossible loyalties what example could ever so inspire us to keep down the philistine in ourselves what teacher could ever so save us from that bondage to which we are all prone that bondage which Goethe, in his incomparable lines on the death of schiller makes it his friend's highest praise and nobly did schiller deserve the praise to have left miles out of sight behind him the bondage of was uns alle bandigt das gemeine she will forgive me even if i have unwittingly drawn upon her a shot or two aimed at her unworthy son for she is generous and the cause in which i fight is after all hers apparitions of a day what is our puny warfare against the philistines compared with the warfare which this queen of romance has been waging against them for centuries and will wage after we are gone End of section 47